Sentire Media. Hello you, you're listening to A History of Italy. Episode 149, The Genoa of Columbus, 1442-1492. Venice, sitting on the northeast coast of Italy, as we know, was called La Serenissima, the most serene republic. Genoa, on the northwest coast, was known as La Superba, which doesn't really mean superb, but instead more proud or even haughty. As the 15th century wore on, it didn't really have a huge amount to be proud or haughty about. Indeed, you could say that this was the century of its decline, although it would make a little bit of a comeback in the 16th century under Andrea Doria. They had started off the century under the dominion of France, then of Milan, under whom they had rebelled after the Visconti had first defeated, then made a deal with Alphonse of Aragon, the Aragonese being the sworn enemies of Genoa after fighting for so long over dominion of the western Mediterranean, and Genoa losing all of its holdings in Sardinia. Things in the eastern Mediterranean were even worse. The great commercial and colonial empire of the Republic, before and after the fall of Constantinople in 1453, would be reduced just to the island of Chios. Speaking of the fall of Constantinople, one of the men defending it, fighting directly alongside the Emperor Constantine XI, was a Genoese by the name of Giovanni Giustiniani Longo, a proven military commander. He had replied to the call for help from the dwindling Eastern Roman Empire and arrived in January 1453 with 700 men to help the effort. This did not tip the scales much for the vastly outnumbered defending army, facing modern cannons the size of which many had never seen before and odds of more than 10 to 1. Longo and his men managed to defend the city for weeks and their bravery was widely credited including by the emperor himself. However, with the last definitive Ottoman assault, Giustiniani Longo was wounded and left his post and the city, destroying the last hope of the defenders. He would die a few days later in Chios. The story of Giustiniani is a great one, as of course is the fall of Constantinople, but it is not our story to tell. The fall was a vital step in the Ottoman expansion, which was forcing Genoa to reconvert its economic, trade and financial circuits with a view to the Iberian Peninsula through to Flanders and to England. This was very much also a private movement, with Genoese citizens offering their services to the Western powers and important Genoese communities expanding in Western Europe. You will remember that the most famous son of Genoa at least outside of Italy, made his 1492 voyage at the service of the Spanish crown. I say outside of Italy because in the country we also have other famous Genoese people, 
The two first people that come to my mind, for example, if you ask me to mention famous Genoese, are the singer-songwriter Fabrizio De Andrea and the comedian-turned-politician Beppe Grillo. Christopher Columbus was born just two years before the fall of Constantinople in 1451 to Susanna Fontana Rossa and her husband Domenico. The family were supporters of the Fregaso faction, one of the main noble families in the Republic who, as we have seen and will see, churned out quite a load of dodges. A Fregaso dodger had ruled Genova with, with a two-man Adorno break thrown in for 15 years at the time that Columbus was born. In 1451, the Dodge was Pietro Ferragazzo and he would continue to rule until 1558, when Genova once again fell under French control. That didn't last long this time, for a revolt in 1461 brought Prospero Adorno to rule. It was a rare case in which the Adorno and the Ferragazzo families actually worked together. The revolt would actually lead to a battle against France won by Genova on the 17th of July 1461 in San Pierre d'Arena, thanks to Francesco Sforza, Duke of Milan. Prospero Adorno in 1461 was quickly followed by some more Fregaso guys until 1463. It is in this year that Francesco Sforza, in cahoots with the opposing Fieschi family, managed to have himself proclaimed Signore of Genoa. It was all relatively amicable and gentlemanly, with a contract and everything. This had also been possible thanks to the fact that the new French king, Louis XI, realised that, for the moment, holding on to Genoa was a bit too much of a headache. Things didn't change drastically for Genoa under the Milanese rule. They continued with their occasional skirmish with the Aragonese and, from a trade point of view, to look west, to the point that they even had a run-in with the wool staple in England. You see, Genoese merchants had taken to bringing wine, dried fruit and alum to England and bringing back wool. But in 1463, exports of wool from England were prohibited for foreign traders blocking Genoese trade for 10 years. They were forced to turn to the cheaper Spanish wool and rely more on banking. Also in this sector, there were ups and downs. This period, for example, the Banco di San Giorgio Bank suffered a drastic crash, but at the same time, the Spinola Genoese banking family bet on the right horse when they bankrolled a certain Henry Tudor in his bid for the English throne. Aside from specific ups and downs, you could say that the 1470s marked the twilight of the power of the Republic of Genoa. Never again would it have a commercial empire that stretched hundreds of miles. Never again would it be the naval power that could threaten the very heart of Venice herself or rival the Spanish fleets. They would attempt to invest again in the east under Doge Battista Fregaso, who came to power in 1478 particularly with a contribution to the anti-Turkish expedition to free Otranto in 1480 and 1481. But they were flare-ups of a dying fire. It is in the 70s that Columbus, after his family had left Genoa for Savona, about 50 kilometers to the west, started to offer his services as a sailor to a series of endeavors and under various organizations for which he traveled to Kios, Bristol, Ireland, 
possibly Iceland and Madeira. It may have been in this period that he came into contact with the Nordic tales of a land beyond the ocean that Columbus thought could have been Asia. He would have learned about nautical science as a child. As a student of the wool-making guild his father belonged to, he would have studied religion, arithmetic, geography, and of course, nautical science. Genovese sailors were not new to the routes we mentioned, as well as others. For example, it was a certain Antoniotto Uso di Mare, whose name literally means used to the sea, who explored the West African coast. Then it was Antonio de Noli who explored up to the source of the Gambia River and was the first European governor of a colony in sub-Saharan Africa. After wandering around in the 70s, Columbus moved to Lisbon in 1479 to join his brother Bartolomeo and the numerous Genoese community there. So, you could say in a certain sense, he leaves the scope of our story. So, we won't follow him across the ocean blue, and so on. As far as we know, Columbus never returned to Italy, while he was alive at least, because there is the interesting story of his remains. He was first buried in the Spanish city of Valladolid, where he died in 1506. Then he was moved to Seville. Then, in 1537, according to his own wishes, his son Diego had him transferred to the island of Hispaniola, which hosts Haiti and the Dominican Republic. Some say that's it, and his remains are still there. Another storyline has him being moved to Cuba when the French took control of the island of Hispaniola in 1795, with bits also being sent to Genoa and Pavia. The bits in Cuba were then supposedly taken back to Seville during the Spanish-American War in 1891. The bits in Genoa instead were supposedly stolen by the Nazis, then recuperated by the American troops and handed back to Genoa, where you can now go to the Galata Museum and venerate, curse, or just observe them with indifference. If, that is, they are actually his remains at all. Now you may be thinking, Mike, this is a bit cowardly of you. In going from his leaving Italy to after his death, you skip the whole debate about Columbus the baddie or Columbus the goodie. Well, I am not one to shy away from a good old controversy. You could say that you can't really blame Columbus for what would come after his time. The conquests, the massacres, the disease, the exploitation, slavery, the trail of tears, the reservations, and so on. In this sense, you could argue that if it hadn't been him who never actually set foot on mainland United States, someone else would have done it. Which is probably true, but he is the one who started it off. Then, you could say that we can't judge a man of the 15th century according to the criteria of the 21st Post-Universal Declaration of Human Rights Society. But even by the standards of his time, he was a good explorer, although that is also up for debate considering the contribution of the Pinzon brothers, but a terrible governor, to the point that he was removed from his post and thrown in jail. He was a religious zealot, he captured many natives and made them slaves. He tortured and mutilated. And what's more, he boasted in his diaries about how easily the locals could be conquered and enslaved. Do we want to hear the cherry on top? 
You know the whole story of the first man who sighted land shouting, Tierra! Tierra! Well, that was a man by the name of Rodrigo de Triana. The agreement was that King Ferdinand and Queen Isabella of Spain would reward the first man to see land handsomely. When Columbus stood before them and was asked who was to be rewarded, he answered, Me. He claimed that he had seen some lights several hours before Triana. Now I know that there are many people who are very much against the whole idea of cancel culture and I can agree that anything taken to the extreme can get a bit complicated. Also, it is a shame for the Italo-American community to have lost a representative and a hero. But surely we Italians, and in particular the Italo-Americans, have so much else and so many other representatives to be proud of that we don't really need to hold to a homicidal religious zealot, albeit possibly a good explorer, sailor, and cartographer. Having said this, when it comes time in the history books to get to 1492 and the fateful voyage, Columbus has to be there. We cannot simply erase parts of history that are inconvenient. As far as his Genova is concerned, after a bit more independence, it would be once again under the dominion of the Sforza of Milan, and that would take the Republic beyond 1492 and out of the Middle Ages. Thank you very much for listening, and stay tuned for the sketch after the credits. Thanks in particular to my wonderful Patreon supporters, Starting with the second half of the Margarita Hack and Galileo Galilei level, Julia G, Justin E, Old John in Milwaukee, Orlando D, Kevin, Mark P, Marxist Leninist Sicilian, Mella, Michus Porchus, Mike M, Neville, Niels, Paradise, Patrizia Kappa, Philip B, Rachel, Roberta D, Rod, Rodney N, Rudy F, Russell F, Scott L, Sean M, Shelby, Stephen, and tap downs down under. And thanks, of course, to the tippy top Maria Montessori and Dante Ligiri level Paolo, Lisa K, Andrew M, Peter W, David L, Rinat, David C, Oak, JW, Sen, David A, and Karen D. If you'd like to get in touch, you're welcome to do so. Hello at ahistoryofitaly.com or on social media. We are on Facebook, Twitter, and on Instagram. Once again, thank you very much for listening, and until next time, arrivederci. Tierra! Tierra! I see land! What? What's going on? Land, you say? Yes, I see it, I'm sure. There, look! Hmm, yes. Wow! I will receive the reward! All the things I can do! Well, I didn't want to steal your thunder, but I saw it before you. What? Yes, I'm sorry to say I saw it hours ago. It was the middle of the night. It was pitch black. I saw lights. You, you were in your cabin, sir. Uh, I looked out of the window. But, 
you don't have a window. Well, then someone must have stolen it. S stolen a window? Yes, I managed to see land before they stole it. I was wide awake because I had this feeling. But, but you have evidently been sleeping and you're still wearing your pyjamas and bunny slippers. I always dress like this. No, you don't. Yes, I do. I was definitely awake and mostly I'd not snoring at all. Looking out of the window, that was still there before with my distance-seeing machine. But what distance-seeing machine? What? What distance machine were you using? This one. But you just made two circles with your hands and put them over your eyes. Sailor as if. If you can't actually see my machine, then I very much doubt that you could have seen land. But, but you haven't got a machine. That's quite enough, Sailor. If you insist on in this, I'll have to have you hung. Hung? But on what charge? Being a know-it-all, now leave me. I'm going to write in my journal about how great I am. Sentira Media. Hey, podcast producers and show hosts. Do you want to join a podcast network that celebrates all things Italian? At Sentira Media, we understand the allure of Italy and its unique culture. Our devoted team of hosts and producers are all driven by their shared passion for Italy. And we work tirelessly to create the best lifestyle podcasts and content that will whisk you away to the very heart of Italy. With us, you can savor the mouth-watering flavors, get lost in the stories from the past, break down the cultural barriers, and truly immerse yourself in the vibrant traditions of this intoxicating country. If you have a great podcast idea or are already in production and would like to join Sentire Media, head over to sentiremedia.com. That's S-E-N-T-I-R-E media.com and find out how to submit your show.